This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Um, unfortunately, we don't have uh, another victory to speak uh, speak about today. After three wins on the spin for Albion, they succumbed to Southampton at St Mary's. However, I think it's fair to say Albion will feel a bit disappointed and a bit hard done by to have got the results that they that they did. Um, Carlos Corbran saying after the game, if we maintain these standards, we will win more football games. Um, Pete, I mean, just to just to kick off, obviously Albion, whilst a little bit slow to start, really came into it in the in the second half the fans applauded them off the pitch at uh, at the end i think they appreciated the efforts i've heard i've seen a lot of southampton fans ad- admitting that particularly second half we were we were comfortably uh, the better team whilst in the end sticking the ball in the onion bag wins you games and uh, not doing so loses you football matches and that's probably the case here I think it's fair to say we can we can feel a little bit hard done by and that we didn't particularly get what we deserved out of this match, did we? Yeah, it was a good performance and we were lucky not to walk away with at least a point, probably three points as well. But I think it's quite rare now that you see fans happy with performances after after teams lost. So I think that says quite a lot with how, how good we were and especially in that second half. I think we're by far the better team. Um, just Southampton had had a bit more fortune in the game than we do. And the irony of uh, of things is, Pete, I mean, we, we won the XG battle 2.2 to 1.0. That 2.2 XG is our highest non-penalty XG of the season. We've talked a lot over the course of, uh, of the past few weeks that Albion have been extremely clinical with their chances that potentially we're we're running a little bit hot and uh, you know we've we we've won we've won a lot of games where we have scored more goals than than uh, than the xg that that we generated i mean that's that that's been the case in 
most of the recent games that uh, that that we've uh, that we've played, or certainly the ones that we've won, uh, Preston we won four nil off off one point five xG last week. We beat Hull one nil off um, uh, off one point zero xG. So I mean, you know, you, you've been you've been seeing that you know we scored two at Watford off zero point six xG. Is it possibly the case that you know this this is just a little bit of variance working it out that we were going to have a day like we had on saturday where everything didn't fly in that we that that um we weren't 100% clinical with every opportunity that came our way or also as was at least partially the case that the goalkeeper has quite a good game against us as uh, as well there's there's an argument to say that you know we <laughs> It's there's probably a little bit of variance working working itself out here, but as Carlos Corbran said after the game, if we continue playing like that and we maintain those standards, in reality we are going to win more games than than we lose because because you know we we have dominated the game two point two xg to one point zero largely shows you that <laughs> although a lot of that two point two xg has come from two chances which we will come to in a second. Yeah, it's probably a bit of variance and also just not being able to put too much emphasis on the single game XG. Like we created a lot of chances and probably deserve to win, but I mean, you can score a goal from 35 yards out and that'd be the only shot you take all game and win 1-0. So, I mean, yeah, on individual games, you can look at it for performance and say, yeah, we played well, but, you know, the actual goals are what count. Um, but, yeah, if you keep playing like that throughout the season, then you're probably going to win. Um, more games you lose, and we just weren't that clinical, well, though, were we, Pete? I mean, fourteen fourteen point three percent of of our shots on target, which is the lowest we've had in a game. It will equal lowest we've had in a game all season, and the game that it's equal with is a game we drew nil nil uh, against Plymouth. Yeah, we weren't clinical enough, and yeah, on a game to game basis or in a single game basis, that's going to cost you. Um, but we created a lot of chances and. Like I say, probably deserve to win. So that's the promising sign. And and if you can keep doing that through the through the whole season, then you're not going to spend the whole season being unclinical. I mean, in previous games we've probably been very clinical. So yeah, it's probably just balancing out a little bit. But at least we're creating a lot of chances. I'm going to have to Google to find out whether unclinical is a word, though, Pete. At some point, <laughs> I mean, one of the players that we that, that that's going to be that's going to be leveled at a little bit is Brandon, who. It did have a little bit of a tough day in in front of goal. He generated one point zero xG himself, which suggests that he definitely should have scored scored a goal. However, you know, first of all, I think you've got to you've got to give him some credit. His header that hits the bar is an unbelievable header, and the majority of that one point zero xG is comes from the ninety fifth minute chance. Zero point seven one of it is from that ninety uh, fifth minute chance where. The ball drops to him. He's four or five yards out. He he pokes it towards goal, and the and the goalkeeper does make a pretty great save. Really, how do you look at that one? Do you? I mean, as I say, first of all, massive credit for the for the header that hits the bar. It's it, it's a brilliant header, and it gives Carl Bartley an unbelievably simple opportunity to to score. But also, how do you look at the? Uh, how do you look at that late chance? Should he should he be burying that, or is it is it just a great save? Yeah, it's probably a bit of both, isn't it? It's a great save, but he's got to take those chances. And there's one that he didn't, I don't think he even had a shot on earlier in the game where he had a ball played into him 
in the penalty box pretty central and took a touch where he probably could have gone first time and got a shot off, um, but didn't. Um, I thought he might have been a bit more confident after his recent goals and, and taking those kind of chances first time and just, I mean, even if it doesn't connect with it cleanly, if it's on target, there's always a chance of scoring and it's obviously better than not taking a shot at all. And it's worth saying as well, Pete, he brings he brings a lot more to the party than just scoring goals. I mean, it, we, we had this conversation around Carl and Grant, um, particularly in the summer when we reviewed the, se- the season and, and we looked at the data and we basically said, look, you know, you look across the last two seasons and all Carl and Grant brings is goals. When, when that's absolutely fine when when he scores 17 of them as he uh, as he did uh, a couple of seasons ago. But when he doesn't score anywhere near that, that, that number, actually you look at Carlin's data and he doesn't bring anything else to the team that cannot be leveled at Brandon even when he's not scoring he had the highest success in beating his man he had the highest carries into the final third he does drive us up uh, up the pitch I don't think he's I don't think he's strong enough with his back to goal and it's something I'd, I'd love to see him him really work on and he clearly needs to be a bit Karma with his finishing, he he shows him flashes that he can do. I mean, the finish against Coventry was was absolutely fantastic. I mean, that was a vintage centre forwards finish. But then it, he does that, and then it seems like he he reverts a little bit and and has moments where where his confidence deserts him in front in front of goal. I've said this before. It was it was really. It, it was it was really interesting to to hear um, Lee Hughes speak at the Ian Hamilton uh, tribute evening a few weeks back, and he said one of the massive massive things that really really helped him when he came into the club because he came in as a very raw striker from from Kidderminster, and obviously he'd been used to scoring goals much further down the football pyramid, but was not used to the the nature of the fact that you get an opportunity, you have to score it at, the, at this level because you may not get another one. And I think that's true of of, of Brandon. And, and Hughesy said that the big thing that helped him was the fact that Cyril Regis was at the club at the time and Cyril really took him under his wing and gave him so much advice and so much coaching on how to be a top, top, top level centre forward. And I personally would just, I, I would just love to see the club look to possibly you know i'm not going to tell carlos corbran how to coach he he's got his own he's got his own ideas but i think i think foot, being a center forward is so much about mentality that i would love to see brandon have uh, have a, a, an experienced goal scorer somebody who is cool as a cucumber in front of goal i'm thinking a kevin phillips type to work with to just ha- give him some advice and give him some coaching and give him some give him the sort of advice that only somebody who has been there in front of goal and needed to have that moment where they slow time down. I don't want to sort of like rake over old ground because I know it's something we've talked about before, Pete, but I just think it could be so massive for Brandon. Yeah, and I was just Googling Kevin Phillips after just before you mentioned him. See if he was because uh, I thought he'd left South Shields and he has, so maybe Corbran can can make a call there. In terms of other stuff that Brandon brings, he, like I say, it's not just his um, threat in front of goal, but it helps us get up the pitch, both carrying and receiving passes. He had the most progressive passes received of any Albion player and um, four passes in the box received. And there was one little turn as well that he did that I thought was really impressive that kind of started a counter-attack. I think he received about on the halfway line with his back to goal and then quickly just turned the defender that was on his back and, and that opened up the space to then attack into. So I think he's 
yeah, it's not just about him being able to score goals because other players in the team will do that as well. Um, obviously, he needs to as the striker, but I think he brings other stuff to his game. And if he can improve his kind of hold-up play and target man play, then I think he's going to be really useful because he's getting into good positions to score. I think he just needs to go on a little run and score a few goals in a few games. And then, you know, maybe he'll, there won't be so many questions asked about his finishing. I think it's, well, I always say it's more important that he's getting chances rather than um, putting them away. Yep, completely understand that. And whilst we're on the on the subject of the uh, of the goal, Pete, I've got to give I've got to give a mention to uh, Jed Wallace because what an unbelievable ball that was into the middle for the uh, for the header that Brandon puts onto onto the crossbar. And I, credit where where it's due to Jed because I thought he had a, I thought he had a good game against uh, against Southampton. He uh, you know, uh, and I think I think Jed Wallace particularly away from home, seems to be such a massive asset for us. He was so tidy on the ball, 91.3% pass completion. He was beating his man regularly. He was he was equal with Brandon for most times that he, he did that. As I say, put an unbelievable ball in for the, for the goal and created shots on two other occasions as well. And I think he's a big player for us uh, away from home. And it, it, I thought it was a good game for him as well against Southampton because it was, um, it, it was noticeable to me... Uh, uh, I noted it when when watching that that uh, that we seem to be putting a lot more crosses than usual into the penalty area. So I had a look on FB ref, and that was the second most crosses in a, uh, that we've put in in a game this season. And I can't help feeling uh, you, we all know that Carlos Corbran takes a very game by game approach to things, and the fact that Bednarek was not available to Southampton for this game. I think I think I'm right in saying he was suspended or injured one of the two. I I know when I did the uh, Southampton preview pod um with with the guys from the Southampton pod earlier in the week they mentioned that Bednarek was out. I can't remember now whether they were saying he was he, he was suspended or injured, but either way he was unavailable. And that obviously brought Holgate into center half who is not as we know from his time at the Albion. He's not a big dominant centre half alongside Taylor Harwood Bellis, who is a good centre half. Carl Walker Peters at right uh, at right back. You know, the, again, there's not not a lot of height or dominance there. And it was interesting that he brought James Bree in on uh, at left back for Ryan Manning, where, where you probably would have expected Manning to start. But I imagine that was to try and bring a bit more height into into the defence. And I thought Wallace did his role really rather well against Southampton. And I, and I thought it was interesting when you look at the way Corbran always goes game by game and tries to set up with a very specific tactics to hurt an opposition that suddenly we started putting a lot more crosses in than uh, than, than usual. And I can't help thinking that um, if Bednarek wasn't absent for that game, would he have done that quite as much? But it's it, it just goes to show the intelligence how Corbran just... He doesn't miss a trick, does he, Pete? He, he he sees an opportunity to target some aspect of, of the opposition and he goes for it. Yeah, well, even with Ben, ben Rach, um Southampton, they got the eighth worst aerial duel success rate um, in the division. So when you take Bednarak out of that as well, I imagine it'd probably be a little bit lower. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of the, the little details that you you take going into the game and, and Corbin seems to help form his, his game plan and kind of just adjust the, the tactics marginally to give you Albion more of a threat against the opposition, depending on what their, their weaknesses are. And um, I think on the whole, it worked against Southampton, especially in that second half. Southampton are known as being one of the best sides with the ball. They 
well, the best sides are keeping the ball and moving the ball around. Russell Martin's always, that's always kind of been his blueprint wherever, wherever he's been. So I think you, we kind of knew what to expect. But even with that, Albion had the, the greater field tilt. So had the ball in more dangerous areas. Um, so possession in the final third, basically. And even, yeah, even with Southampton's strengths, I think we kind of nullified them and, and definitely looked like the better team for most of the game. Obviously, after Brandon hits the bar with the header, um, Carl Bartley has the uh, fairly routine task of uh, of putting it in the back of the net. Bartley's opportunity there has um, 0.93 xG, Pete. My question to you is simple. Who are the seven players out of 100 who are missing that chance? Or uh, uh, Jordan Hugel's one of them. Who are the other six? <laughs> I was going to say, I think we've had a few of them in the past. Hugel would have had a good chance at doing it in... Um... Maybe someone like Luke Moore as well. He never seemed to be a great finisher when he was at Albion. Yeah, Ken Zahor probably would have missed it just because he was probably half asleep as the as, as the ball came past him. Although um, I'm I'm also having uh, shadows back to um, to that horrendous Carnu miss from a, from about a yard against Middlesbrough, as you say. <laughs> We've had a few over over the years. Didn't Carl and Grant miss one at the back post against uh, against somebody that it was Sheffield United away, wasn't it, at the end of last season? Sheffield where United, it, yeah, yeah, where it looked easier to score. So yeah, the, I'm, I'm I'm suddenly starting to see why it's only 0.93 xg and uh, and not higher. It's probably we're probably a major contributing factor in the xg of that chance not actually being being higher. Um, anyway, move, moving moving on, and uh, as you say, Pete, we we were dominant in that second half, um, and we were comfortably the better team. I would suggest that that turnabout uh, where we became the better team largely came from the fifty six minute onwards, and I'm I'm very specific about that minute because that was the minute Alex Mowat came onto the pitch, and I looked at the data from when Mowat came on. As I say, on 56 minutes, we had 14 shots in the game total. 10 of them came after Mowat came on. So in the final 34 minutes of the game after Mowat came on. So bearing in mind, there was there was only little over a third of the game left. We had 10 of our 14 shots after Mowat came on. We, we had an average of 41.4% possession before Mowat came on. We had 57% afterwards. He also had the most shot-creating actions, five, despite only being on for 34 minutes. And much as I pointed this out the other week, uh, Pete, once again, Alex Moat's only misplaced passes were passes that were over 30 yards in length. He had 32 of 32 passes completed under 30 yards. So a perfect pass completion under under 30 yards. And it shadowed me back a little bit to the QPR game where we were we were struggling a little bit at nil nil, and on fifty, I think it was fifty four minutes that uh, that day, so not much different to uh, to Saturday. Mowat came on and um, completely changed the game, and suddenly we started being a massive threat. Mowat started playing unbelievable switches over to over to Grady D and Garner, and uh, and we we dominated the last. 30, 35 minutes against QPR and, and won the game very, very comfortably in, in the end. Obviously, we didn't end up getting the end result on this one, but the the reality of how the dominance of the game, how it flipped with Alex Mowat coming onto the pitch is still exactly the same as it was against QPR. They are the only 
two games where Alex Mowat has been left out of the starting eleven, and I would suggest they're two of the games where you've 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 seen us not at our best without him on on the field. My question to you is fairly simple at the, at this point, Pete. You know, whilst we don't want to sort of flog a player within an inch of his life in terms of playing him every minute of every game. Is Alex Mowat getting to a point where he's he's very, very hard to drop? And if we do, it, or not drop, not start, I should say. I hate the phrase drop because it suggests that it's a punishment. And it's a, it's a, uh, I shouldn't have used it then. It's a, it, I feel it's a misused phrase in modern football because the players that finish a game are in many respects as important as the players that, uh, that start a game. But I also don't think we can give up 50, 55 minutes of, of dominance in a game by not having Moat on on the pitch, and I'm I'm starting to feel like he's he you know much as last season, I think there was an element where Corbran was really keen to never leave Jed out because of what he brought to the team. I feel like Moat's become that player now that is the the detriment to the team that comes from not starting him is so great that I, I kind of feel like he's going to have to start the vast majority of games at, at the moment. And that's not, by the way, and that's not having a go at Chalaba, who I think had an all right game. I And, you know, Moat can play alongside Chalaba. He can play alongside Yukoslu. It doesn't seem to make any difference. This is a conversation about how good Moat is, not the drawbacks of the players such as Yukoslu or Chalaba who might play in his stead. I just think Moat has got himself to a level at this moment in time where he is so good that he's verging on indispensable. What do you think? Yeah, I'd struggle to disagree with that. You can see the game momentum and the graph where Moat came on because it, it just um, completely switched um, from kind of being, I think the first half was Southampton had most of the momentum and then as soon as Moat came on, it was just all Albion, basically, and to a much greater extent than it was Southampton in the first half. And, yeah, I think he, he makes a huge difference to that. Uh, he just seems to... He's so calm on the ball. Um, like I say, he's short pass, and he, it's very rare that he misplaces a pass. And I think he's so important to switch in the play when we got it. Because um, I think a, a big part of what we're trying to do against, against Southampton was moving the ball from... Um, one side of the pitch to the other, and Phillips and Diangana were, well, more Phillips. Diangana seemed to have two or three men on him every time the ball went near him, but Phillips was getting a lot of space on the left when it was moved to him early, um, and Mo was really good in doing that. So I think he's, yeah, I, and what he does, I think he's a lot better than um, our other central midfield options for for moving the ball around, keeping possession, um, and just being tidy on the ball, but also being able to do it in the in the final third and actually create chances and, and slide passes through in, in slightly tighter areas. I think Moet does a lot better than any of the, the other options. They've all obviously he's, got their strengths as well. He's more dynamic. He's more dynamic than isn't he, Pete? Because you look at his numbers and progressive passes, progressive carries, they're very, very high. As uh, Chalaber had a decent game against Southampton, and and his his pass completion was was actually it was actually at ninety six percent, which is really impressive. But actually, when you look at where Chalaber's passes went, they didn't really go anywhere that massively hurt the opposition and 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 like I say that's not a criticism of of Chalaba there's a real benefit to being neat and tidy but I think you can level the same accusation at Yokoslu as well that Yokoslu generally has a very high pass completion rate but 
his passes are generally safe in their nature. And whilst Moat has somehow has managed to have this insane pass completion rate where he it, it, for two games in a row now, he has only misplaced passes over 30 yards, which is just frankly staggering. I mean, how he has, how he has played two matches of football, obviously not complete matches, but, you know, 124 minutes of, of football plus injury time and not misplaced a single pass under 30 yards is is beyond belief to me. But you you look at what he does with those passes and they do go into dangerous areas. They are progressive. And if there's not a progressive pass on, then he carries the ball progressively. And I just think he is perfect alongside one out of Yukoslu and Chalaba. But I think when Yukoslu and Chalaba are partnered together, they both have the same quality. They are neat and tidy on the ball, but they do not go, uh, they're not dynamic enough with it. Yeah, Chalaba op- operated a lot higher up than, well, not a lot, but was more advanced than Yukoslu, as you kind of expect. And actually, Chalaba and Mo had the same number of, of progressive passes completed, um, and Chalaba had the higher pass completion rate, but Moment's expected threat was about three times that of Chalabas, so you can kind of see that they're both moving the ball forward. Um, well, they both move the ball forward at a kind of similar rate, but Moat was moving it to much dangerous, much more dangerous areas than Chalaba was. Um, and then when you're actually looking in the game, it was, like you say, more dynamic and just more composed. Well, he made a huge difference when he came on, and it's yeah, it's very evident that the actual impact that Moat had. It's it's getting harder and harder to see. How he can get left out of out of squads. Obviously, the the number of fixtures you play makes it a bit more difficult to play. You know, you'd have to play him twice a week, quite a number of weeks. So that makes it difficult. But he's such a key player to us and, and changes games when he does come on. That is is difficult to leave him out at the start. And Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just a bit of a broader point. I mean, I think I think we've covered why exactly Albion was stronger in the second half against Southampton because, as I say, I don't think we were for nine minutes of the second half, and then and then Alex Mowat came onto the onto the pitch. But the broader point is, uh, Pete, we don't generally start games terribly strongly, um, and we are we're generally a better side in the second half of matches. Sheffield Wednesday, we were a little bit. Lackluster in 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 the in the first half, um, 
especially after scoring the scoring the goal Plymouth we were completely dominated in the in the first half and then and then were comfortably the better team in the second half I think QPR we've kind of covered the reason uh, uh, for that I thought Coventry was a better performance in the in the second half than the than the first and certainly for for me Hull City we we massively turned it on in in the second half and I mean even even going back a, a bit further than that Millwall as well uh, you know again I would say that we were a much better side in the second half and definitely should have won uh, should have won that game Bristol City started poorly and then dominated the second half as well I've missed a few games out in in there obviously Watford was a bit of a ding-dong Preston was just a tremendous performance all the way through and, and Birmingham is the other one that I've missed out there because I think that kind of hinged on the penalty but I think I think I've picked what seven out of ten games there that that I would suggest we are better in the second half now two of them I think have hinged on Mowat coming onto the field but even so that still that still leaves sort of half the games five out of ten where I would suggest we've been a be- be- been a second half team do you have any theories as to as to why we are we we seem to be consistently better in the second half than than the first not particularly um i mean it's it's evident that it, at the minute we we definitely are whether that's just kind of one of those things that might change in the future or maybe it's corbran and the coaches and alice actually noticing weaknesses of the opposite opposition whilst we're playing them and and things that we can change and then when you get the 15 minutes at half time that's when you can you know tell the players what's what's going on and what you, should, what you should try and exploit and what you need to try and do and maybe that's what changes the games um, or maybe it's substitutions we've not got a particularly deep squad but we've got some quite dynamic players on the bench um, Sarmiento when he has been available has um, almost always been off the bench and he's very good very dynamic very threatening Tom Fellows has been very direct and putting good balls into the box whenever he's come off the bench Um and the change in midfield as well. We've got good options in central midfield. We've already mentioned Moet, but even bringing on Chalabri's had good games off the bench. And same for Malumbi, he's definitely not a, a bad option off the bench. I'm, it's kind of been forgotten about a bit this season. But um, last season, he, I think he won our player of the season. But even if he didn't, he was one of our best players. So I think, yeah, those options on the bench definitely help. And like you say, it's the players that finish the game are, are sometimes even more important than the ones actually start Obviously, we did lose the game on Saturday. We lost it two one due to an Adam Armstrong goal. Pete, I think you and I, it's, I think we had we had a chat off air. I think we're slightly in disagreement about about this goal. I uh, uh, anyone who listens to the pod regularly knows that I have a lot of affection for Connor Townsend. I think he's a really good footballer. I think he's incredibly important to what Albion do, but. I do think, in my opinion, he is completely at fault for for the, uh, for this goal. I don't think he. I, my personal opinion is, I don't think he has any reason to go and get involved with the ball which Kipre is trying to trying to win. I think that we are man for man. Um, that that both centre halves have a man, and Connor Townsend's man is Adam Armstrong. And I think if he if he basically stays with Adam Armstrong, whether that's Adam Armstrong standing still at the back post, whether that's Adam Armstrong pulling off a little bit, or whether that's um, Armstrong trying to dart across him to uh, in front of him, I think Connor Townsend stops that uh, that goal, regardless of what happens in front of him. 
Um, I accept the fact that the flick that Kipre gets is a little unpredictable, to say the least. But I still think that Connor Townsend gets sucked towards the ball into some sort of a no man's land where he just he just shouldn't be. And it was interesting, Corbrand's comments after the game. He he said you need to be perfect against these top teams to win the games. And I feel like it was almost a reference to this where we've done so much so well in the in the game, but we have made. I mean, it's not even a major error, but it, uh, but it is just a lapse in judgment. I would go as far as to say, um, and and it, and it's cost us a goal. But I I know you view this goal slightly differently, Pete. So uh, that that's my take on it. I as much as I love Connor, I'm a hundred percent pinning this uh, pinning this goal on on him this week. Unfortunately, um, and I, I I stood and defended him with a similar goal last week, where I know some people were trying to say that because the goal goal comes came at the back post against Hull that it was his fault. For me, that was one where Matt Phillips should be tracking, largely because the goal comes from the right back, and when the right back goes, the left mid has got to go with him. I don't think that's the case here with Adam Armstrong. I think he I think we're man for man. I think he's Townsend's man. And last week was not in. I think Connor does his job as he should. Last week, I really, I don't put any fault on him for for Coyle's goal against Hull. This week, I'm afraid I, for me, it's a hundred percent Connor Townsend. But I know, I know you've got a slightly different view. Yeah, I think Southampton just got a bit lucky more than anything. I think initially Townsend was with Armstrong, and we were man for man, we we're marking our men, and we were comfortable. But as the ball comes in, I think Townsend predicts his Kipre is not going to head it, or if he does head it, then you know he's going to head it clear rather than just kind of glancing it to the back post. And in which case, Townsend can assume Kipre is not going to head it and, and move into the area that the ball's going to bounce and be there for for when it does reach there and, and go and clear it. Um, Kipre obviously gets a touch and it it flicks into Armstrong, who was just kind of waiting where he was initially which then makes Townsend look like he's out of position. But I think he was just kind of preparing for Kipre to not head it and assuming that if he does head it, then it's going to be a decent header rather than just a little glance. Yeah, so so no Kipre header, then Townsend's there just to clean it up. And he's got there nice and early. He doesn't have to worry about Armstrong gambling and beating him there. Um, obviously, Armstrong doesn't move in the end, but, you know, that's, that's hindsight. So I don't think Townsend really did anything wrong. I think it was more just, yeah, more just unlucky that Kipre didn't get a clean contact on it to actually head it clear and instead just headed it right into the path of Armstrong who'd been waiting. So yeah, for me it's just it's more um good fortune for Southampton. But either way, which uh, and look, we've got two differing opinions on it. I, I, I for once, am holding Connor Townsend culpable, and like I say, regular listeners will know that that's not something I do a lot. I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism, but on this occasion, I look, I'm, I'm saying he, uh, my personal opinion is he cost us a goal. Pete has a slightly different view, but either way, what I would go as far as to say is that Connor Townsend has been a great servant for this football club. He has, uh, he has been a very consistent player. He plays a variety of different roles for us. And I, I, I think very rarely lets the team down. Yes. Look, he's, whether you blame him for this goal or, or not, um, he's, he has, he, he has in the past had a bit of a blind spot for players uh, running off his shoulder or 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 coming coming in on the back post um we had this the goal at uh, the goal at Preston that um 
I, th- I think ultimately, no, it didn't quite cost Steve Bruce his job. He, Steve Bruce lost his job the next week. But the the one nil defeat at Preston last season, there was um, uh, Diallo uh, against Sunderland, the penalty that got won. You know, Connor does have this uh, this uh, this propensity to to switch off a little bit on those moments. He's not perfect, but then again, he's playing for West Bromwich Albion in the Championship. He's not likely to be. And the things the things he does that are positive massively, massively outweigh the negative things that he does to, uh, for this football club, whether it's his one-on-one defending, where he, he he's so rarely beaten in a one-on-one uh, duel. He His aerial numbers are fantastic for somebody of his height, even if you go with his real height, as opposed to the one on Wiki, which has him at five foot six. Um, but, uh, you know, going with his real height of about five foot ten, um, he, he, nonetheless, he is, he is still... A very very good one on one one on one defender and a good header of the ball and some of his progressive passing and some of the uh, some of the ways he's arrived at the back post to score some important goals over the last twelve months cannot be underrated. Which is why I was saddened, staggered, just deeply deeply disappointed when Albion on we're recording this on Sunday when Albion today put out a post that was a quote from Connor Townsend saying that we were all devastated about the result, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the usual stuff you hear from a player after a bad result. To then look at the comments and see... And Connor was tagged in the post as well. So in the responses, the majority of the responses, unless unless they've actively gone to untag Connor when responding, the, the responses will have gone to Connor. And the amount of abuse... In the comments from people blaming him for the for, for the defeat, the um, uh, telling him he's not good enough to play for the club. Which, frankly, if you think that, then I'm sorry, but you you just don't know very much about football. That I realise football is a game of opinions, and that is fair enough, and everyone is entitled to theirs. But if you don't think Connor Townsend over the last year, eighteen months, whatever you want to look at has had value as a West Bromwich Albion player, then then, then there are, there's opinions and then there's not knowing what you're watching. And if you honestly think he hasn't brought anything to the team, then I don't know what you're watching. I just do not know. I, as I say, I'm, I'm very, I don't ever want to come across as arrogant. Like my opinion is the, is the only one out, out there because I'm well aware that Pete and I have just disagreed over a goal. And I don't think my opinion on that goal is any more valid than Pete's, but I'm sorry, there is a build-up of evidence that is so blatantly obvious that Connor Townsend has contributed a lot to this football club that if you are if you if you willfully choose to ignore that, then I'm sorry, you are just being biased and blinded by your own prejudice towards a player, or you've taken opinion, uh, you've taken a stance on a player, and you are just being belligerent and refusing to budge on that stance because uh, I'm not saying you have to think Connor Townsend is the best player in the world. I'm saying if you don't think Connor Townsend has had value to West Bromwich Albion over the last year, 18 months, and certainly no West Bromwich Albion player deserves abuse from what you would imagine is the club's own fans, because what would any other club's fans be doing in the comment section of an at WBA post? that is just a quote from a player. And we've had this before when Jake Livermore met a landmark of games where the the, the volume of abuse in the, in the quotes was just appalling. I'm well aware these are probably not the same, uh, the majority of them are probably not the same people who, who, who 
sit at the Hawthorns every week and cheer the, cheer the team on. I am uh, I am well aware that the majority of these people are probably a bunch of keyboard warriors who probably don't watch a great deal of the uh, of of the games played. But nonetheless, it is just it's so sad that the the, the amount of times you see people going on social media or going on television shows or or uh, anything and talking about mental health and how it's so important and how it's important to be nice and how bullying needs eradicating from our society and then you put a post out about a player saying that he's already admitting that he is feeling devastated about a result and these and these people feel the need to pile onto this person. You cannot have it in one breath and talk about mental health and talk about how it's important to uh, to be nice to people and be kind, and then go and abuse a footballer who, by the way, like I say, let me remind you, is tagged in the post. So we'll see the vast majority of those replies. I just I I just wonder about the mentality of people, Pete. I it. Look, I've worked in social media my entire working life. So, uh, and I now teach social media to uh, to to young people. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start going down the route of saying that all of the people in the comment section are young because I honestly don't believe they are. As I say, as I say, I I teach a hundred hundred and fifty young people every year, and they are collectively a wonderful upstanding group of people so i'm i refuse to to make this a thing against how young people are on social media because i honestly don't believe it is i just think there are some people who get behind a keyboard and they completely forget that the person on the other end is a human being that the the footballer that they're abusing is a human being with feelings and a family. And I think these people are sick. I really do. And I think they need to just take a long, hard look at, look at themselves in a mirror. And it amazes me that when you point this out to people, that they, uh, they come back to you with things like, Oh, bet you're fun at parties. Well, bet you don't get invited to any because you're a horrible person. So I, th- I think people just need to take a long, hard look at their own lives, uh, Pete, when they go into comment sections where players are, um, are tagged and just start abusing them. And whilst this is slightly a moot point to the overall point of you shouldn't go on there abusing any footballer because they go out, they do their job, they try to win a football match, no player goes out to try and lose. And, you know, they don't deserve verbal abuse for that. But particularly Connor Townsend, does not deserve, I mean, nobody deserves verbal abuse, but Connor Townsend doesn't deserve the level of criticism he's getting in a lot of those comments. Because whilst I honestly believe he made a mistake on Saturday, I think he's generally, an, uh, well, I don't just think, I know he has generally been an outstanding player for this uh, for this team and has probably been one of our best players over the last two and a half years, with, without any shadow of a doubt for me. And I, it, the mentality of some people, I'm not even going to go as far as to call them fans, Pete, just it startles and disappoints me in equal measure. Yeah, I'm not really sure there's anything else I can really add, add to that. Um, it's just, yeah, very strange, very um, disappointing. Um, can't really understand why people would want to use their time to do that and, and why they think it's acceptable or anything. So, um, yeah, just... I mean, you kind of you kind of come to 
expect it almost with um not with Jake Livermore in the past and others along the time. It just seems to be that there's always some kind of posts like that that underneath well, well, Nalbian posts that Well that's it, Pete. Sorry, just so just to jump in there. The reason I became initially aware of the post was because it was uh, some somebody did say to me, have a uh, have a look at uh, look at this, you know, what uh, you know, almost what were the club thinking sort of thing. And whilst I, uh, you know, I, the sad thing is the person who, who, who sent it to me was right because, you know, the, the club maybe should have, should have thought this will cause a pile on. Why should they have to think, as you say, Pete, why should it be so inevitable? Why should they have to think like, oh my goodness, this is going to cause a pile on? Why, why can't we just be better than that? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me because I've never even considered like even joining in on something like that. So it's yeah, to me it's just ridiculous. And I mean, you're hardly supporting the, the team and the players when you're um, piling on like that. So it's yeah, just a, a very strange thing for me. I know something that we've we've highlighted in the past, uh, Pete, is um, Alex Palmer's near post problems. I saw that um, some people tried to. And maybe look, maybe we're maybe we're part of the problem here in the in the sense that we've highlighted it in the past that that people every time Alex Palmer gets beat at his near post now people think he's at fault. I have to say, I, I think if anybody's trying to blame Alex Palmer for that winner on on Saturday, they're barking up the wrong tree. To give, put that in perspective, Adam Armstrong's shot has a post-shot expected goals of 0.996, which means ninety six times out of a hundred, the shot he strikes. From where he strikes, it goes into the back of the net. I mean, correct me if you if you think I'm wrong, Pete, but I I give absolutely no blame whatsoever to Alex Palmer for that goal. None for me. No, all he can really do in that situation is just try and get across and spread himself and hope that the shot hits him somewhere and, and stays out the net. I don't think it's too much of actually using reflexes or anything. I think it's just making himself as big as possible and, and just trying to hope with where it's taken and um, the actual shot. Um, I don't think you've got too much hope of it actually hitting you and staying out. So, yeah, I can't put any blame on Palmer for that. It was just, um, like I said, I think Southampton just got fortunate with that one and um, fell to Armstrong at the back post and he had a pretty easy finish. I don't think it was Palmer's fault. I don't blame Townsend for it really. I think, yeah, Southampton just got lucky with that one. Just to finish off, Pete. Overall, we obviously now go into the November international break. How do you, how do you view Albion's season up to up to this point? I mean, obviously we are we're a goal, I think, or or two goals potentially. I'm not sure whether we've scored more than uh, Sunderland or not. Um, but we're we're either a goal or two goals outside of the playoff places. Which I have to say, if you'd if you'd said to me going into the November international break, that's where you'd be or that you'd offered me that going into the November international break would be a better way of putting it. I think I'd have probably ripped your hand off. I realize that when we return, it's, it's, it's never, it's never a complete picture at this moment in the time, a moment in time, because you haven't played everybody at, at this point. I always think the, the sort of turnaround in pic, in fixtures, which normally happens around boxing day is, is always a really, really good time to take stock because you've generally played everybody by, by that point. But and, and and I'm well aware that when we come back, we've we've got to play Ipswich, we've got to play Leicester, we've got to play Cardiff, we've got to play Sunderland, we've got to play some incredibly difficult games when we when we come back. 
But I feel like with all the turmoil that the clubs had, uh, all of the all uh, the, you know the issues where we really didn't know what players Corbran was going to have when the window closed. I don't think Corbran knew what players Corbran was going to have when when the window closed. So the, the you know the way he had to sort of handle August whilst not really knowing who was going to stay, who was going to go, and then obviously he's he's gone into September with. Pippa not ready to play, Maja not fit, Sarmiento still coming back from uh, fr- uh, from an injury, and two of those three have have managed to get injured, and only Sarmiento's just come back. He's lost John Swift uh, as well. I have to say, when you look at the, the the bigger picture, Pete, I'm really positive about where we are, I, and especially as we we're now seeing we over the last few days, the the Albion account uh, have been very open um about showing us footage of John Swift, Daryl DK, Josh Mazur, all striking balls in, in in training, all okay, they they're clearly training away from the larger group, but nonetheless doing running, striking footballs, dribbling w- with footballs out on the, the grass as the as the common football parlance is. Those look. I, I I worked at that football club for eight years. I, I I know from my time there that those that that's extremely good uh, good signs, and and that that generally means those players are not a million miles away from rejoining the the larger group. Obviously, of those, DK is the one you're going to have to be a lot more careful with because you know he's had two massive injuries that that have seen him miss so much of the of of the last two seasons. But uh, you know. It, the the i think to put ourselves in a position where we are within touching distance of the playoffs we will hopefully when the when the when we return after the international break in two weeks have you you'd like to think definitely swift maybe even measure back in the mix sarmiento's obviously had minutes in the last in the last couple of weeks and is you know feeling his way back to fitness and and he's looking good some good tricks against Hull and that was a great ball in for the chance against um uh, against Southampton as well so he's starting to get there as well and you know whilst we're still going to be a bit away from seeing DK I think I think realistically the new year is probably where we're looking at for that and obviously we've got to look at the new year with a bit of trepidation because we're we're going to lose Grady Dean Garner and Shemi Ajayi for for quite some period during the due the due to the African Cup of Nations. I I just think we're in a decent we're in a decent place, and it's I really do think it's only things outside of our control, i.e., a takeover not happening, and us therefore having to have something of a fire sale on players in January just because we need to we need to sort the fine we need to plug the gap in the finances I think I really do think Pete that's just about the only thing that can can derail us I think other than that we're just in it I'm really I feel in a really good place about Albion and I don't I'll be honest I I, I get I get quite I, I generally take defeats quite badly when Albion lose. It gets me. It does get me a little bit down for twenty four hours or so. I'm, uh, you know, uh, bless my missus. I'm not not always the the most fun to live with when when we get beat. But I just I just don't feel like that today. I'm I'm going you know going into a two week break after a defeat, and yet I just feel really positive about where we are as a as a team. And really, my only real major worries for 
this Albion team and nothing to do with the playing stuff and nothing to do with the coaching stuff. It's it's all to do with off the pitch stuff. Yeah, I think anyone would be happy of being um put outside the playoffs. Um, coming into this in- international break, if you'd asked at the start of the season, not even a point, Pete. Two goals, two goals. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone can really have any complaints about that. Um, and to do it with the amount of injuries and even before that, the the pretty slim squad that we had is even more impressive. So, like you said, I don't think there's anything to be worried about on the pitch. Um, I think we've got one of the best managers, if not the best in the division. The players that we do have, I think, are quite high quality. Um, it's just the depth that's an issue. Um, and like, yeah, we've done it without, whilst having a couple of our key players out injured as well. So when they're back fit and we've got a full squad, um, albeit a slim squad, if we can keep everyone fit and keep pushing, then yeah, I don't think there's any reason why we can't be pushing for the playoffs come the end of the season. Um, the only question mark would be if we have to sell a few key players in January, but with rumours of a takeover progressing then hopefully that might solve that issue as well so I think there's a lot of reasons to be positive at the minute and probably softens the the blow well definitely softens the blow of suffering a defeat going into the international break like I say it didn't feel like most defeats do and um, it probably helped the, the good run of form that we had before that and the position that we are in the league with everything that's going on so I think there's yeah a lot of reasons to be happy. Yeah, certainly did soften the blow. As you say, a lot of reasons to be positive. I can't think of any better place to leave it than on on those words because you've got to go into two weeks without West Bromwich Albion and uh, it, leaving you with a positive vibe, I think, is probably the, the best way we can do it. So we shall leave it there for today. As I say, two weeks without a West Bromwich Albion game. That's not to say it will be two weeks without uh, myself and Pete. We've... Um, we might, we might, we might have a plan to do something a little bit different uh, up our up our sleeves over the over the next um, over the next fortnight um, to bring you some content. Um, but I'll uh, I'll leave that very nice and vague and ambiguous, uh, so you can. Well, if you, if if when you finish listening to this pod, if you do give it a second's thought after that, then maybe I'll leave you to wonder about it. But um, I've got to be honest; I wouldn't blame you if after you finished listening to listening to this, you were uh, you, you went and made a brew and forgot all about us. But uh, you know, let's let's hope that's not the case. But nonetheless, I think we will probably be back before West Bromwich Albion play again. But uh, keep an eye on the um, X account at Albion Analysis as always, and. Um, I will announce any new pods on there. Keep an eye on your feeds, wherever you get your podcasts from, wherever you listen to Albion Analysis. And it will, of course, if we drop a new episode, it will, of course, drop there. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.